Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. This isn't just going to be one text that I preach on tonight, but we're going to just be looking at the cross of Christ. We're going to be looking at what Christ accomplished upon the cross. The Hebrews helps us in thinking through how we must get started. So with that, a quick prayer. Father, by the power of your Spirit, guide your people tonight. Open our eyes to see your word, that we may live to keep it, to love Christ above all, to cherish his sacrifice, and to celebrate the victory upon the cross. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hebrews 11, start, or 9, starting in verse 14. Hebrews 9, starting in verse... I'm sorry, I'm tongue-tied. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 11. Hebrews 9, 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all, into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In the end of verse 22, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. As you follow through scripture, if you read your Bible, if you're paying attention You see that, and we have a good perspective from this side of the cross, but there is so much pointing in Scripture towards this Friday. There is so much in Scripture elevating what is going to happen to the Messiah on the cross. Now, they couldn't see the details. They didn't know the the plan, but... As we look throughout all of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we see hints, we see types, we see shadows of the bloodshed of Christ. You start in Genesis 3, what do you have? Adam and Eve disobey God. And what does he do? They, he clothes them, clothes them in animal skin. Where did the animal skins come from? Right. Noah gets off the ark in Genesis 8. What is the first thing he does? He builds an altar and sacrifices an animal. You get to Genesis 22 and Abraham is told to sacrifice his son Isaac. And they get to this mountain that God had told Abraham to do. And what did God do? Provided 
a sacrifice. Exodus, we see in the Passover, a slain lamb, a spotless lamb whose blood is wiped on the doorpost. All throughout the beginning of the Old Testament, even into the David and all the kings, we see the bloodshed of sacrifices. And then you think about what Israel was doing each and every year on what they call Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. This is what the Bible says that they are supposed to do once every year that they should not forget this statute, that atonement should be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of their sins. And on that day and throughout that week, multiple, multiple sacrifices. Blood that was shed. And we see all throughout the New Testament in reference to Christ's death, that His blood was shed. His blood was poured out, as he said at the Last Supper. But why so drastic? Why so graphic? Well, if you think about God's words, God's warning to Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said to them, if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. You know, and David, after David had committed the big sin that we all know of with Bathsheba and, and, and planning and having her husband murdered, Nathan calls him out on it, but he calls him out in a, in a parable and gives this parable to David and tells this horrible story about this sin of a man. And David said at the end of that story, as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. As the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. We know that the wages of sin is death. And as we've already read in Hebrews, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. You consider the outcome of Adam and of David. Think about those two men and their horrid sins. They didn't die. Was God a liar? Rhett's shaking his head no. Did God not keep his word? How can it be that these two men, and let's not forget us in this room, can live a day and not take on the punishment for our sin. How can it be? And that's what we're here today. The cross of Christ. You see, David and Adam, their sin was overlooked to some degree. It was not overlooked that God was made a liar, but in His patience and forbearance, He passed over their sin because of the cross of Christ. And we sit here today on this side 
because of the cross of Christ. Hebrews 10 says, For by a single sacrifice, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being set apart. A sacrifice for those before the cross, united to him in faith, as Abraham was, and those after the cross, those who have placed their faith, knowing that it was Christ who had died for them, Christ who had died in their place. This is the gospel that we know we have received and we have preached. Paul said it as Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. This wasn't a new thing that we get in the Gospels, but this was according to all of Scripture that Christ would die. But what I want us to seriously consider tonight, it's easy for us to say Christ died for our sins, but what does that mean? That Christ died for our sins. It had to be more than just a physical death, right? Because we know Jesus even prophesied Peter's death, which is a crucifixion. So they died physically the same way. So it had to be something different. It hadn't have been more than just a death. It had to be something had to happen on the cross. So here's three words I want to put before us tonight. Three words to know and cherish. Now, they, they're, they you may not be words you've heard of, but don't worry about it. We're going to walk through each one, and we're going to understand by these three things what Christ did on the cross. And here they are. Redemption, propitiation, and reconciliation. Now, I'm going to walk through each of those, but before we understand what Christ has done, we must understand the issue at hand. And this issue is for every person. Because of our sin, because not just of our sin, but because of who we are. Sinful. Full of sin. Your nature is to sin. And I've used the example, and I'll probably use it till the day I die. Like a lion's nature is to attack. Like a, pers- like a deer's nature is to run from its predator. Our nature, all mankind's nature, is to sin against God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is not an easy message. But in this, to know those three things that Christ did for us on the cross, we must realize the three things that we have done. We have angered God. We have angered God. And I, you know, people make a big deal about God hates the sin, but He loves the sinner. That's only true for those who are in Christ. I want you to understand that. God's God's relationship towards sinners who are not in Christ, it's not pretty. 
It's not easy and fun to talk about. But let me tell you what David wrote. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. In our sinful nature, we have angered God and brought about His just, His justful wrath. The second thing, in our sinful nature, in our rebellion, we have accrued a debt that we cannot pay. You got an IOU that you can never find enough money to give back. We have a debt that we cannot pay. And the third thing, in all of this tied together, we have made ourselves enemies of God. We have made ourselves enemies of God. Not my words, but Paul's. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. At Good Friday, Christ died for His enemies. He was there on behalf of a people who God was angry with. Whom owed Him more than they could repay. And had lived in rebellion from the beginning. That Christ died for our sins. So in this condition, all are without hope and all are condemned. Which means no fellowship with God. No fellowship with the true living God. Now I want us to understand, that is, could just mean nothing for anyone. Our goal isn't heaven. Our goal is not to reach the celestial gates and streets of gold. Our goal is fellowship with God. It is the whole reason for your being. Fellowship with God. The old, the old uh, confessions and catechisms say, what is the chief end of man? The answer, to know God and to enjoy Him forever. That is why we are created. In easy terms, no heaven, only hell for those in that condition. From Adam to David to you to me, the only way possible outside of this condition is the cross of Christ. The only way to eternal fellowship with Him is through this substitutionary atoning death. Meaning, if I were up here, substitution, meaning I wasn't here. Someone else was in my place. They would be my substitute. Christ died on the cross as your substitute. That should have been you. And on that, in that cross, in that substitution, He atoned, He covered your sin. 
And it is only through this substitutionary, atoning sacrifice of Christ that we can have fellowship with God. Let me read this before we move on. Just one quick, two quick verses. You don't have to turn there. But in Matthew, and I believe I read it in some fashion already. Now from the sixth hour, notice, notice the conditions of what is taking place. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Darkness. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried. Now we want to know what actually happened on the cross. Was it just a death? Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, 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 lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the darkness upon the cross, this act of propitiation was taking place. And this just means that Jesus was satisfying the anger and wrath of God that we have stored up, that we have earned. Christ hung on the cross satisfying that wrath. And one thing we have to get right in our understanding of the gospel and our proclamation of the gospel, Jesus wasn't a helpless son like Isaac when Abraham took him. Isaac had no idea what was going on. Jesus knew. Remember, in the baptism that we spoke of when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. The Father said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This was an affirmation, a confirmation, an agreement between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that they would go to the cross. This was an agreement, a covenant. Between the tri- within the triune God. God was not an upset daddy beating his son. The father is in the son and the son is in the father. They came to accomplish the father's will together. Yes, it wasn't easy. Yes, the father and the son, no love, experienced love. And upon the cross, they did not... They did not cease to become God. Jesus was there. The Father was there. The Spirit was there. But in this sense, God the Father forsook the Son for us to satisfy the wrath of God that you have earned. This is propitiation. Peter didn't feel that on the cross that he hung on. He did not know that. He did not know that suffering. He did not know that pain. The second, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Redemption. The second thing that happened on the cross of Christ was redemption. In Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13. Now we know we, 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 we sort of interchange salvation and redemption, and that's okay. That's not a problem. But redemption has a specific meaning. Redemption in the language, in the time of Jesus, meant someone was paying a ransom 
to purchase someone. You wanted to purchase someone out of bondage, out of slavery, out of uh, uh, debtor's prison. You paid their ransom. And in that, you actually purchased them. So there is a point to redemption in the cross of Christ. There is a point to redemption and not just it's us being saved, but he has done something. Let's look at verse 13. Here is the redemption that we have in Christ. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning you were hopeless, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. This is how he does it. Keep reading. Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legals, legal demands. Okay, so are you telling me God just forgot it? Keep reading. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This debt was not forgotten. It was forgiven, but it was not forgotten. And it was found on Christ as he hung. We remember the parable that Jesus gives of the, the unforgiving servant who had accrued a debt that he could never pay. And the king, in his mercy, forgave him his debt. This is what we have in Christ. Christ on the cross. Our debt that we owed God. Which let me tell you, if the wages of sin is death, the debt that we owe God, the beginning of it is just our lives. Just the beginning of it. Unpayable. But Christ took on our debt, nailed it to the cross, and we know, we see in, uh, in Corinthians that Paul reminds them in, in Corinth that they have been bought with a price. Salvation is a free gift of God, but it cost. It cost. It cost the Son dearly. But what good news that you've been bought with, bought by a price by Jesus. What good news that you are a servant and slave of Christ. Because do you know the alternative? You think you're owned by yourself if you're not owned by Christ. But if you're not owned and bought by Christ, you're owned and bought by sin and death. You are a slave to sin, a slave to unrighteousness. There is no, no, I'm my own. No one owns me. No one has dominion over me. That is wrong. You are either owned by sin and unrighteousness or Christ and righteousness. And what better to be a slave to Jesus than a slave to sin? Reconciliation, the third thing. Turn with me to Romans 5. And I've already mentioned this one. It's just too good not to read, starting in chapter or starting in verse six. Romans five, verse six. 
Reconciliation. Now let me set, let me let me explain that word a little bit before we read this passage. You know of old stories about two men who've been longtime friends. Something happened and they became enemies. So there's a famous story about John Adams and Tom Thomas Jefferson. They were in the beginning of the founding of the country, they were inseparable. But over time, as politics took place, things went on, disagreements happened, they became bitter enemies. And it's just a good story, so I'm going to tell it anyway. Towards the end of their lives, they reconciled. They became good friends again. Out of nowhere, they became good friends. But it was while they were old and they lay in their house unable to see each other. So they wrote letters to each other back and forth, back and forth. Becoming best of friends again. You know that they died on the same day? Do you know they died on the same day of the same year? And that was July 4th? Just an interesting story. But what happened to them, they were friends. They had a, a, relate, a right relationship. It was broken. And then it was reconciled. They were brought back together and made friends again. This is what we have in reconciliation with God. This is what Christ accomplished. God made man in right relationship. Adam and Eve in the garden. Man rebelled, broke that bond, and, and ran from God, rebelled from Him, and has lived in sin ever since. God wanted reconciliation. So He sent His Son. Look, look at verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more, now this goes back to propitiation, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Now look at here, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. How? By the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now received reconciliation. Enemies of God, now sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. You know, most people who become enemies and want to come back together, they need someone to come in the middle and to help that reconciliation to kind of be a third party, to kind of help represent both sides, to be a mediator. You could not, you could never reconcile your relationship with God. 
without the mediator. Paul tells Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. What did he do? Paul says, he gave himself as a ransom for all. Praise be to God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, so the question that we must ask ourselves today as we finish, then how must we respond? That's a question for everyone. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. How should we respond to the cross of Christ? That is how we should approach each and every day of our lives. How do we live in light of what we know about the cross of Christ? Zealous. On fire. Not settling. Hating our sin. Seeking justice. Showing mercy, loving others, repenting daily of our sin, and proclaiming what we already know. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. And he was buried. And on the third day, He rose from the dead in accordance, with, accordance to Scripture. So, but there may be some of us who must respond in a drastic way. As Christ came, He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's only through faith that you can receive what Christ has done on the cross. It is only through trusting in Him. Do you know you're a sinner today? Do you know that? Do you know that you're in need of a Savior? Do you know that without Christ, you're an enemy of God? I pray if you know that for the first time, if you are experiencing brand new faith today, that you cry out to God. You ask Him for forgiveness and you publicly tell the world that you believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. And Paul says, if you believe in your heart, you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And He calls all who believe to follow Him to be baptized, to become a part of the body, the church, His bride. So as we close today, we have a hymn of response. Now I want us to understand something, as I've already mentioned. When we finish the Word, when we hear the Word preached, and we have a time... A hymn, this is for all of us to respond. 
Some in repentance, some in confession, some for believing in the first time. Some of it is for us as Christians to remind or to tell the Lord that we are sorry for our lukewarmness. Maybe it's to cry out to God for help. I don't know, but this is always a time for us to respond in song and in prayer. If you want to sit in your seat and pray, ask the Lord for forgiveness. If you want to speak with me afterwards, whatever the case may be. But when the word goes forth, it's always a time to respond. So as we, after we sing that, I want to do things just a tad bit different. I want us to sit back down and I have one more passage to, to read when we conclude and then we'll be dismissed. So with that, um, let me pray. Our Lord God, Lord of hosts, creator of all things. We give thanks that we who are your enemies can be called sons and daughters. We give thanks for Christ, our elder brother, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking on a form that we have, form of man, submitting himself, humbling himself to the point of death, Death on a cross. We praise you, O Lord. And we ask that as we remember tonight, as we consider what Christ has done, that it would not be fleeting within our minds, but by the power of the Spirit, you will build us up to be more like Christ and to love him greater. I pray that we would sing with hearts full of joy, knowing the victory that is in Christ. And it's for his sake that we pray. Amen.